Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. We're New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. We enjoyed our bonus episode earlier this week where we did our Halloween pop culture party four. We did the Fall of the House of Usher down in Austin. A very strange and very fun Halloween team building competition with media with John Stanko. That podcast is in the podcast archives. You want to check that out. Into the sports this week here. Do our college basketball preview today with Zach Braziller. As we continue our string of basketball related podcasts, we're going to chat with a great friend of the podcast, New York Post, about some of the big college basketball headlines coming up in just a bit. Also, do our week nine NFL picks. I'm going to be joined by a friend of mine, Jer- Jersey Joe Arquino, coming in on the podcast this week for the first time in a couple of years. His Chargers are in town to play the Jets on Monday night in week nine. We're going to talk about that game and more. Also, give you the two minute drill. And how sad it is, in my opinion, that WFN has just lost its way over the last few years. So, I'll tell you why the two minute drill. Thank you here on the Justin the Suffering podcast. Feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Tune in, Spotify, Amazon, all your suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on your favorite podcast platforms. You can find our episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and sorry as well. And with the podcast, even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the podcast with Zach Braziller and Jersey Joe Arkeen are up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to give you what I think you need to know about college basketball season. That's coming up here right after this. Two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. As much as I love the NFL and MLB, college basketball season is right up there. It's one of my favorite times of the year, especially kickoff year. Pace the game is just right. You got two or three at most a week. The rivalries are more intense than the NBA because the fan base gets so much more into it. The pageantry of college basketball always appeals to me. The season begins in earnest on Monday. We have plenty of stories to watch both locally and nationally. Beginning with the fact that the reigning national champs are right here in our backyard. UConn's looking to defend title minus number of key players went off the NBA. We do have some key rotation pieces back though, including big man Donovan Klingon, who's a headliner here. A strong recruiting class from Dan Hurley should help keep them right in the mix in the Big East. Speaking of the Big East, St. John's now a national story for the first time in a long time. After they hired Rick Pitino away from Iona to try and revitalize the program. Pitino essentially turned over the whole roster. They retained just two players from Mike Anderson's final St. John's team. Throwing a litany of talented names up fill out his roster. The rest don't already receive some top 25 votes at the start of the year. And they have some hopes to make some noise against the NCAA tournament for the first time in about two decades, which will be fun. Nationally, we have a lot of digital powerhouses set for success. Kansas right now is our preseason number one. They had the best transfer in the nation for Michigan big man Hunter Dickinson. That's a big deal because Bill Self's best Jayhawks teams have had dominant play at the five. Think Joel Embiid as a team. Remember, that team was a one seed. They would have won. They had a chance to win the NCAA tournament that year if Embiid doesn't get hurt. They had some strong big man play when they won national titles in the past. So don't be shocked here if Kansas makes a deep run this year. Duke number two. It's an experience for the Blue Devils for once. They bring back Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor. They had two of the big leading scorers from Duke last year. They're back here to get the Blue Devils some returning scoring punch. 
Purdue brings back reigning player of the year, Zach Eady. Moser Nucleus is back. They're looking to rebound from last year's devastating 116 ups at the hand of Fairleigh Dickinson, trying to get to the Final Four for the first time, I think, since 1980. The former head coach of those nights, by the way, Tobin Anderson, did go on to succeed Rick Pitino on own, did his own massive rebuilding job, where I think only one player stayed off that roster last year. He brought a bunch of new guys, and they're projected second in the MAC preseason poll, so fun to see how Tobin does over there. Michigan State lurking in the background, number four in the polls. Tom Izzo has blended a strong recruiting class, a deep roster returning players. It feels like we are overdue for the Michigan State Final Four run. The Spartans usually go about every once every four or five years. Last one in 2019. As you can see, if this trend continues, we're seeing them Spartans back in uh, the Final Four this year. The big thing you notice, however, in my opinion, there is not a super dominant team that will command all the attention like Gonzaga two years ago or Duke in 2019. That makes the regular season much more fun. We have time to see who the true title threats are as they emerge over the course of the regular season. Speaking of the regular season, by the way, I know most of you casual fans out there do not pay attention to college basketball until at least the NFL regular season ends in January. But you guys have got to stop skipping November and December basketball. There's a lot of fun stuff in there. You got all these great non-conference games. You got these tur- these short mid-MTEs and the tournaments in. A lot of Thanksgiving week tournaments. Those are all a lot of fun. Huge class of the powerhouse teams. Look at Bill at the NCAA tournament. The Champions Classic in November 14th is going to be a huge one with three top five teams in it. You definitely got to check this thing out. I'm telling you, you got to pay attention to non-conference basketball. You get a lot of fun stuff there. That's coming up here. We'll get more into college basketball with Zach Brazeller right after this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Cause it's basketball of Mr. Kirch's All right, we are set here for the start of the college basketball season next week, getting ready for a very exciting season, both locally and nationally. Join me today, great friend of the podcast. He covers college basketball for the New York Post. Zach Braziller is here. Zach, how are you? What's up, man? How are you? Doing pretty good. I love my college basketball. I'm very excited for this upcoming season here. Like, What are you looking forward to this, this year? I mean, personally, I'm obviously looking forward to St. John's and covering Rick Pitino. I mean, it's... It's really the most hype and excitement. I, I, I mean, I've been covering this program since 2000, you know, I think 14 or so. And by far, by far the most hype, excitement, intrigue. You have a legendary coach. You have a brand new team that people think is going to be pretty good. Um, you know, I've always wanted to know what it was like to cover a good, a really good St. John's team. And now, look, who knows if they're going to be good or not. But um, it's just, the exciting through the roof. Uh, there's no question about that. Yeah, for sure. And let's start there because obviously that's the big storyline for this this town right now is the Patino arrival at St. John's. So, like in terms of like what he's going to bring to this program here, I think it's very interesting because obviously he comes to them after spending some time in the New York area. They own again the tournament the past three years. Obviously, he has access to more top level talent at St. John's. What do you think kind of the impact Rick can bring to uh, the program? I mean, you've really already seen it. Um, you've seen it in terms of the interest. You've seen it in terms of the kind of recruits they're getting. They get a 
top 35 high school prospects in Simeon Wiltshire. They got some very good transfers and Chris Lesmo and Jordan Dingo and RJ Luis. You know, next year they have a top 60 kid coming in from Jersey and Jaden Glover. So really overnight, he's not only brought interest and excitement, he's brought tangible results recruiting-wise. And now, you know, you got to see um, what what happens on the actual court because all that excitement means nothing if they don't win games. But I think every, you know, I have yet to talk to someone who does not think he's going to bring results. And you'd be dumb not to think that. He's won everywhere he's been. Kentucky, Louisville, the Knicks, you know, Providence, even Iona. I mean, so, yeah, look, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm really looking forward to just kind of seeing what this team looks like. Yeah, that's for sure here. And let's go national here for a a minute here. In terms of uh, story, in terms of the top teams to watch nationally, obviously, St. John's getting top 25 love, but they're not in the polls yet. In terms of the biggest teams nationally, who are you looking at? You know, obviously Kansas is very good. Bringing Hunter Dickinson, return three starters. I actually think Duke is going to be very, very good. You know, they, they have a nice mixture of experience and, and talent. Obviously, the number two recruiting class in the country. Bring back a big-time player, in, you know, in, in Filipowski. Uh, Tyrese Proctor is back. I, I think Duke is going to be one of the top two, three, two, top two, three teams in the country. You know, but to me, it's, it's pretty open too. You know, there, you know, I don't think you go into this year saying, well, this team is a definite Final Four team or this team is a definite national title contender. You have your, you know, you have the usual. Michigan State looks like this could be kind of more of a throwback Michigan State team than the one we've seen um, in, in the last few years. Purdue and Zach Eady coming off that. You know, obviously crazy upset loss to to FDU. You have Florida Atlantic off their miraculous Final Four run with their entire team back. I think they're a little overrated. I don't think they're a top 10 team, but I think they'll be very good. You know, I, to me, it's, you have that. You have, you know, it's kind of the year of the big man. One thing that's happened with NIL and with, you know, that the ever-changing way of the NBA where, where the traditional big man has been phased out is you see more and more really good big men coming back. You know, look, you have Dickinson, you have Edie, you have um, Chris Omaruri on a local flavor um, from Rutgers. You have Armando Baycott. You have a lot of just really, really, really good big men. I think that's obviously another storyline um, that interests me is just so many really good big kids that you haven't seen in a while here. Yeah, it's definitely exciting here. Somebody likes to play style basketball here. In terms of, uh, let's go back locally here, because obviously we had the reigning national champion here in UConn. They go on the big March run. They win. They lose some key pieces, have some key guys back here. What do you think UConn does for the encore? I think UConn's going to be very good. Now, look, they did lose a ton. Sonogo, Andre Jackson, who was so important to that team, Jordan Hawkins, three starters, three integral parts of that team. They were picked to finish third in the Big East. I would have picked them second. Look, they have a freshman, Stefan Castle, who people think is going to be a one-and-done lottery pick. Donovan Klingon, to me, is going to be one of the very best players in the country. I was stunned that he wasn't on the all-Big East preseason first team. I think that was a massive mistake by the league coaches. And yeah, look, I think UConn's going to be really, really good. Are they going to make the Final Four and win another national title? Like, no one has repeated since Florida back in 2006-07, so I think that's probably unlikely, but look, UConn's going to be really good. Marquette's going to be really good. Creighton's going to be really good. I really like what Dorn Nova did in the offseason. I think St. John's is going to be good. Uh, Providence has a ton of talent. Even Xavier, you know, 
to um, they lose Hunter and Fremantle for the year most likely. I, I think Xavier's got a good team. I think the Big East is going to be a terrific, terrific league this year. Yeah, for sure. And one team I'm curious about is Seton Hall, because obviously you're one of the Shaheen Holly era did not go as what they were expecting. They did not make a tournament here. They were kind of a middle of the pack team. You're, you, I think they do with year two of the Shaheen Holly era and uh, down, down with uh, Seton Hall. I think Seton Hall fans are going to have to be patient. We all, it's been documented. Seton Hall's NIL situation is not up to par. They struggle to bring in difference makers on, on the transfer market. I do like the backcourt, but it's with Kadari Richmond, Alamir Dawes. Ray Davis and St. John's transfer um, Dylan Adarusu, but look, Seton Hall's pick ninth. I could see them maybe slightly higher, maybe eighth, maybe seventh. If absolutely everything goes right, but I, I don't think this is a tournament team. They're they really don't have much up front um, at the four and the five. I know they're going to try to play Dre Davis as a small ball four. And look, I think Shaheen's a really good coach. I think he's going to do a really good job there. But there are certain things in place that have to be done for him to be more successful. Yeah, I would agree. I think we have time here with them. And stay in New Jersey with Rutgers here. They were the 69th team in the, in the mix last year. They just missed the tournament here. What do you think the chances are to get back there to Mars Mass this year? Because obviously Steve Peichel's done a good job down there. Yeah, look, I, I kind of look at Rutgers similar to Hall. I think they're probably a little better than Seed Hall just because they have a star big man in, in, with Honor Rui. But look, they have a lot of question marks. You lose Cam Spencer. You lose um, McConnell. You lose Mulcahy. That's a lot of you know, offensive firepower and a lot of experience. There's high hopes that Derek Simpson as a sophomore could really step in there as, as the lead guard. Gavin Griffiths, a top 30 prospect, um, you know, it has a lot of talent, but it's going to take him some time. You know, the big thing with Rutgers is they have a terrific recruiting class that might get even better with one of the top players in the country, um, Dylan Harper committing. They already have Ace Daly. So look, even if they don't make the tournament this year, it, it, it's kind of like an in-between season because you have this huge class coming in next year, especially if they get Harper, which most people expect. So, uh, look, you obviously would love to make the tournament. I think they will be in the mix for the tournament. I don't know if they quite get there, but it's really about the future for Rutgers and really about you know this this huge class and seeing that some of these young players in this program can have a you know create some confidence, have a good year, and then you really set it up for next year and the year after. Yeah, let's go to some uh, mid-majors here around the area. There's potentially exciting here. Starting with Fordham, which last year had its best season in years. They get to the semifinals of the A-10 tournament. They're projected seventh in the A-10 this season here. Do you think this is a another year to build for Fordham? Do they have a chance to actually try and push for a tournament spot? You know, Fordham lost a lot. Um, they really relied on, uh, on seniors last year, and and obviously part of it was they had a very, very soft non-conference schedule, and it was a down year in the A-10. I, think, I don't think Fordham is going to be quite as good this year. Now, they do have some very interesting sophomores. Will Richardson, um, Angel Montas. They have some guys, Joshua Vera, to me, are going to be three of their best players. So it might, you know, they're not going to win as many games as they did last year, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're taking a step back. Um, you know, I, I just think people need to understand Get another winning season under your belt, even if it's something like 8, 17, 18 wins and really start building something. Um, and I do like some of the young players in this program, but I do not think they're necessarily ready to make an NCAA tournament. Yeah, for sure. Let's go to Hofstra here, which obviously has a big mountain to climb in the CAA with Charleston, which last year won 31 games. It was a 12 seed in the tournament here. I think they projected fourth in the preseason poll for the CAA. Like, what do you think about, about Hofstra this year? 
You know, I think they're a little underrated. Um, part, a, a lot of that is because they lose their star player, Aaron Estrada, goes to Alabama, but they return a lot. Tyler Thomas, who really was their best player at the end of the season, is back. He's a senior. Um, Jaquan Carlos, who really took a step forward as a point guard, you like a lot. Darlington Stone Dubar, a really skilled wing. So I do think they have a big three there. And one of the problems with Estrada is they were over-reliant on him. And this year, I think they could be, they could have more balance. And look, I, I, I wouldn't pick them to win the league. But we all know in March that one weekend with these mid-major tournaments, anything could happen. I think I think Hofstra is definitely going to be a top three, four team in this CAA. And they might be better built for March just because they're not going to be just so reliant on that one guy. Yeah, for sure. It's also the most successful mid in the area of late, which has been Iona. And obviously, they're an interesting spot because, obviously, Rick Pitino leaves. 12 of the 13 players in the roster go out with him. Only Otto and Shemmer returns. They bring over Tobin Anderson from uh, FDU to serve as a replacement. and he brings in a whole new roster here. But the MAC as a whole sort of went down. A lot of guys went out of this league. Like, what do you think about Iona for you this year? You know, they're, they're going to be interesting. They're kind of like St. John's, where it's, like, it's a brand-new team. It's a new coach, but a new coach who, who has a history of winning. And Iona's used to win. Um, they were picked second in the MAC. I, I think they have some inter- intriguing pieces. They bring in a guy like Idan Trippout from Harvard, um, some other grad transfers. They're really old, which is what you like in college basketball. They are, they're really built on grad transfers in Shima. I think Iona's going to be right there in March to win that tournament. They probably, you know, I would not count them out winning that league whatsoever. Tobin Anderson did a fantastic job at FDU. He was great at St. Thomas Aquinas. The guy has won everywhere he's been. I, I think Iona's going to be very good. I, if I had to pick the best mid-major in the area, I'd probably give Hofstra the slight edge, but I think Iona's right there with him. Yeah, definitely fun to see how these mids play out here. And uh, on day of recording here, I did think it's going to get your take on this. We did get some news from the NCAA at the NIT, which has now taken away the automatic bids for mid-majors who win their leagues and don't get into the tournament, which is, I think, a big selling point for these leagues in the past. Now it's a lot more slated to go towards power conference teams. To me, this makes no sense. I feel like a lot of those power conference teams have no desire to actually be there at the, in the NIT. Yeah, you know, one thing I heard is that, that Fox Fox was trying to organize a, you know, a post their own postseason tournament for, for power conference schools that don't make the NIT. So I think this might have been the NCAA kind of trying to block that number one, and but look, I completely agree. The power conference teams, they don't want to play in the NIT. A lot of them decline invites. The mid, you know, these mid-major teams basically barely get enough of a shot as it is. I, I, I hate it. I think it's silly. I think it's short-sighted. I think it makes no sense. Uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree with this idea more. I just, I just don't quite get it, even with this whole Fox tournament. Yeah. I don't like it either. Although I feel like they're just chasing the money. That's nothing gonna, nothing going to change there. But the last one here I want to ask you is obviously we know what the conference schedule look like once we get to January, February, so on here. But non-conference courses either tend to, tends to get forgotten because it gets in the mix with football and basketball, NBA starting, NHL going on here. Like there's a lot of good games early in the season. Like what are some you're looking forward to? Look, it's loaded. I mean, the Champions Classic is always terrific. Maui is great. Um, I'm really looking forward to that first St. John's Michigan game just because it's going to be a garden. It's going to be Patino. I think you're going to have close to a sellout, if not a sellout. It's going to be a really, it's going to be one of those New York events you want to be at. It's going to be electric. Um, I, that's, that's definitely, um, 
you know, one I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to. No question about that. I'm looking forward to FAU. You know, they're playing a really, really good non-conference. I believe it's Illinois and Arizona they have um, in, their, in their tournament. You, you know, look, you have, you have UConn playing a million puck games. It's going to be there are a lot. It's, to me, it's a really, really good non-conference year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned UConn a well, lot. I'm looking at some of their games here. They go to Kansas. They play Gonzaga in Seattle. They play North Carolina, the JV Classic. You, like, uh, Dan Hurley is loading up on tough games for his team. Yeah, look, I mean, that's, you know, I never understood the high major schools that, that play a soft schedule. St. John's did it with Mike Anderson. Rutgers has done it with Michael. I just don't get it. I think you're doing a disservice to your team. I think you're, you're, you're lowering your ceiling in terms of NCAA tournament seating. You're hurting your chances if you're on the bubble of making the tournament. I've never understood that. Um, you know, Kevin Willard was always a big proponent on playing an incredibly tough schedule. And look, St. John's schedule is getting better. So that's a, that's a good one. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it, to me, it's so important. It is very important. I'm sure St. John's fans also appreciate that Rick Patino has said he's making an effort to try and get bigger games next year. If they can pull off the Duke game at Arthur A. State, that will definitely be a unique experience for college basketball. Yeah. I mean, that would be really cool. Arthur Ashe is a fantastic venue. Um, it would be a real, you know, they have the roof. Uh, that would be really cool. You know, so you have that. St. John's in Bahamore next year with Virginia and Baylor. That's obviously really good. There's talk of them playing possibly a home and home with Alabama, uh, maybe even opening year in Vegas against someone. So yeah, look, there's no doubt he's going to start beefing up that schedule um, starting next year. Yeah, for sure, Zach. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. People want to follow you on social media and your coverage for for the post. How can I do that? Yes, look, uh, my Twitter is or X, whatever, is Z underscore Braziller at uh, NY Post underscore Z Braziller. All right, Zach. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. All right. Have a good one, guys, man. You too. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks are here for week number nine. We're almost halfway through the season. Join me today. Blast in the past. I don't think we talked to him in a couple of years, but he's back on the podcast now to talk about his charters coming to town here. Jersey Joe Arquino is here. Jersey Joe, how are you? I'm good, my friend. I love following what you've been doing and continuing to keep the show going strong. And it's a thrill to be back on. So thank you for having me. Absolutely here. And obviously last week we watched your Chargers on Sunday Night Football against, against the Bears. That game was not even close from the, gar- the start. Like, What was your big takeaway from that football game? Yeah, you know, I think it's been a huge disappointment so far this season for the Chargers, and they really needed kind of a get-right game. And to me, that was the ultimate get-right game. You saw Austin Eckler really had his breakout game. Uh, Herbert obviously still dealing with a little bit of an injury to uh, one of the fingers on his non-throwing hand, but he looked very sharp. And, you know, I think it was just the, the performance that you really wanted them to see. I don't think the season is too late. It's not over yet. So for them to kind of maybe right the ship from that point on, I think there were a lot of positives that you can take away to build some momentum from. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, I want to ask you about your head coach, Brandon Staley. Obviously, he has gotten a lot of uh, heat on the internet for like how aggressive he is in fourth down sometimes. And the defense not been great. Obviously, last year, the playoff collapse. You're like, how do you feel about Brandon Staley? 
Yeah, you know, I, I I thought they should have moved on from him last season. I honestly was very surprised when when they decided to bring him back, especially after that epic collapse to the Jaguars in the postseason. Uh, to me, that was almost like encapsulated his uh, time with the Chargers in a nutshell. Uh, you, you know, you have this huge lead, you let it go. So I, I think his tenure has really been uh, a disappointment because there's been this team has so much talent. I think talent wise, they probably have one of the best rosters in the league. But, you know, I, I think sometimes there's nothing wrong with being aggressive, but sometimes you, you can't be so aggressive where you're outsmarting yourself. And I think that's one of the things that he does a lot of times. He's so aggressive that he he that kind of supersedes doing what should be the the smart thing to do. So I I thought last season they should have moved on. And right now, again, they've been one of the biggest disappointments, I think, in the league. So if, if the season finishes the way it looks like it's going to right now, I think they'll be looking for a new head coach at the start and uh, at the in the offseason. Yeah, I think for me, the one that sort of epitomized your thing about how he outsmarts himself signs, I think is like late in the Viking game when the Vikings had no chance. He's going for it at, at the minute at his own 25. And then it really took like complete incompetence in Minnesota not to cost him that football game. So like that's the kind of stuff I just don't get with him. Absolutely. Look, I think if you, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Mike McDaniel in Miami. I think if you had a guy like a Mike McDaniel with the Chargers, we'd be having like a totally different conversation. You know, I, I think a, a young, smart guy like that who can get an offense flying. Um, I, I think, you know, Miami's got a great roster. The Chargers have a great roster, but coaching is so, so important in this league. And I think if the Chargers could find that guy, uh, obviously the hardest thing is if you don't have a quarterback, I don't think anyone debates that Justin Herbert isn't one of the most promising young quarterbacks in the league. So whoever uh, comes into that situation has a lot of great assets to work with. Um, but I, I don't think Brandon Staley is the guy moving forward. Yeah, I don't think so. We don't see what happens to him this year, but obviously they're playing in prime time again. They're flying across the country, play my jets on Monday night football at MetLife stadium here. Like, what do you think? What's your expectation for this game? What do you think you should be watching for? Should be watching for here? Yeah, you know it's it's tough because I think the Jets' defense is obviously special. You know, I think there are very few defenses in the league that I feel like actually have the power to win games. And I think the Jets are one of those few where their defense is so good. They have so many playmakers that they can literally win games. So I, I think heading into that, it's it's already you're going up against a very, very difficult set of circumstances playing that defense. So I, I expect a low scoring game, but I think in a game like that, the, the, where Austin Eckler especially got going last weekend. That's such a huge part of the Chargers offense, what they're trying to do. I see a, a very close one, but I think the Chargers get, just kind of scrape by and win by a field goal. Yeah, I think the line right now in the game is Chargers by three. I think one thing also I'm curious about here is like how they do flying is, as you, as you well know, Chargers never seem to do well. They fly across the country. They don't. And you know, I, to me, I'm always weary when West Coast teams make that trip out on the East Coast. I think that always is very difficult. You know, it's just it's routine. We're all so used to getting into our routines and that's a big adjustment to make. So I again, I think this is a very close one. And, you know, if the Jets were coming out to L.A., um, it, it might be a little bit more of a, of a win for the Chargers. But I think 
on the road, especially after they got kind of got their confidence and their mojo back after beating the Bears so handily. I think that this is a game where it's close. It could go either way, but I think with Justin Herbert, I just trust his arm and his talent to scrape by and get a get, get a field goal at the end when it comes down to it. All right, so we'll see what happens in that game on Monday here. We're going to get to the picks now. It's the reason why we're here. Friends of the podcast, Alan Austin was here last week. He went one and two on the week here. He had the Vikings laying two and a half in Green Bay. They won the game before Kirk Cousins got hurt. He had the Falcons laying the two and a half against Tennessee. They get they lose to Will Levis in his debut. And he had the Texans laying two and a half against Carolina. They lose that game outright on the field goal there. So one and two last week for Allen. 13-11 on the year for team visitors. Not bad. Not bad. I, I had a much better week last week. I had a rough one before that, but... After this, I went three and zero last week. So, yeah, baby, yeah. So I had the Jets in the in the very ugly football game we saw on Sunday at MetLife, laying a two and a half. They won by three in overtime, miraculously. I had the Seahawks laying three against Cleveland. They won that game by four. I had the Bengals getting five and a half against the 49ers. They won outright. So three and zero on the week for me. Fifteen and nine overall in the season. This is very impressive. It is. This is not an easy league to pick. I don't care who you are. And anytime you can walk away with a three and zero week, that is very impressive, my friend. Yeah, I started out hot. I took a little dip for a couple of weeks. I'm hoping now I'm swinging back up here. But as the guest, I'll give you the opportunity to go first here for the picks. So we'll start here with you, Jersey Joe. Where are you going here for pick number one? All right, pick number one. I'm going with the Panthers plus two and a half over the Colts. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of growing pains for Bryce Young so far in the season, but got their first win of the week last uh, last week, and I think you know it's it's momentum to build from. I think he's shown some promise. I think the Colts obviously are a team that have been up and down, very much obviously dealing with the quarterback with an injury to their rookie quarterback. Gardner Minshew has played uh, had some nice moments, but. To me, I think this is a close game, but I like where the, the direction that the Panthers seem to be continuing to move in. Yeah, I like that pick as well. Plus, this is a revenge game for Frank Reich after the Colts fired him last year. So, you know, he's definitely we get his guys fired up to play that game. Great point. You know, I didn't even think about that. I don't know how I, that, that, uh, I missed that point, but this is a huge game game for him. You know he's going to want to get revenge on, on his former team. All right, absolutely. We're going with pick number two. Uh, this for me, or you want to go, Mike? Uh, you can go pick two. All right, for two, I'm going with the Rams plus three over the Packers. Uh, I think, you know, the Packers are one of those teams at the beginning of the season. Everyone was wondering, what are they going to be with, uh, with the uh, post-Aaron Rodgers era? And uh, it has not been a pretty start for the Jordan Love era in Green Bay. They really seem like they are a team that is struggling on all facets. And I think the Rams, to me huge huge loss to the Cowboys they really got embarrassed in that game so to me I look at this game as a game where you know that they're really going to have their pride on the line here and I think even though it's a t- always a tough place to go and play in Lambeau I think for them this is a pride with their pride their pride is on the line at this point so I see them bouncing back here and getting a big road win yeah I think the Rams are the better team overall Stafford's thin- thumb injury does worry me a little bit but Jordan Love's looked abysmal for a few weeks I can understand the logic there Absolutely. All right, where are you going with your last pick of the week? All right, the last one is a, is a huge one. Bengals minus three over the Bills. To me, I think we all were scratching our heads the first few weeks of the season, wondering 
where were the where have the Bengals been that we've been used to seeing these last few seasons? But the last few weeks, I think you've really seen that they are back to what to their normal selves. I think last week really put the explanation mark on that. Joe Burrow looks healthy again. He's moving better. He's hitting all his targets. I think you know this is a huge game for Buffalo because. They've got their schedule for the next few weeks is absolutely brutal, but they're dealing with so many injuries at the moment. I think they've got a lot of just uh, players that are just out, which really is going to hurt them. And in a game like this, where I think the Bengals are healthier and hitting their stride at being home, I've got them winning what should be a really exciting matchup. Yeah, it's a Sunday night game this week. I'm with you all the way on the Bengals here. I think the Bills are have not been right for the last few weeks here. All defensive injuries are killing them here. I think going into the year, I thought that Buffalo was going to take a step down here. I think we're seeing it play out right in front of our eyes. All right, so your picks are on the board. Now, I'm going to start now. Pick number one. I'm going to go to the other big game. I'm going to go to the 930 in Germany. I'm going to take the Chiefs laying two against the uh, Dolphins in one year. Call me a don't buy Miami against a good team. They've gotten smoked, the two good teams they played in Buffalo and Philadelphia here. I think the Chiefs are going to be up this game. I think they woke up after Denver last week. I think Patrick Holmes to be better after a week not dealing with the flu will be helpful here. I think she's a better defense than Miami is capable. I've seen thus far this year. I think they're going to win this game by at least a touchdown. I think I'm getting only two points. I'll lay the Chiefs. It's interesting. You know, I, to me, I have such a hard time touching the games, international games, because to me, they're such wild card games. You know, I think when you're playing stateside, you, you expect a little bit, but I think when you're going over the pond, uh, it, it uh, just your your whole rhythm kind of gets a little bit thrown off. So it'll be a good game, and, and I think it's probably the best mat international matchup the NFL have had since they've started this series. But uh, you know, I, I if I had to pick it, I would probably pick it like you did. But it's for me, it's just so tough. I think the international games are such a wild card. Yeah, it is a tough one here. Pick two. I'm going to take New England laying three and a half home against Washington. We saw yesterday at the trade deadline that Washington ripped the team apart. They traded away both their edge rushers here. This is a team that's in flux. This quarterback I don't really believe in, Sam Howell. I feel like he's going to have issues against the Bill Belichick defense first time seeing it. And New England has these games every once in a while where they show up, they look confident. They did it to Buffalo a few weeks ago where they managed to pull off the win there. I think this Washington team is in such disarray. I think New England's going to come out here at home and put up, a, put up a solid number here. I'm laying three now. I think they win. I think they win comfortable. I'll take New England pick two. I really like this one. I'm with you all the way. I think when you look at Mac Jones in that game they won against Buffalo, when his line gave him great protection, he was slinging the ball all over the field. He looked like an unbelievable passer. So I think obviously with, with Washington trading away, like you said, some of their best rushers, there's not going to be as much pressure, and Mac Jones will have a lot of time to make plays. And his, there, you know, New England's defense has been strong this year, so this, uh, I think it's a good pick. I like them too. All right, let's pick two. Pick number three. I'm going to go local here. I'm going to take the New York Giants getting two in Vegas against the Raiders here. And this is another team that's in disarray. As we recorded this podcast the night before, Raiders fired their head coach. Raiders fired their GM. Raiders fired their offensive coordinator. They benched Jimmy Garoppolo for Aiden O'Connell here. This is a spot where the Giants coming here they really should win this football game. They're getting Daniel Jones back. He's the starting quarterback here. They have a very ferocious defense. It's a bad Raider line, a rookie quarterback on here. I think the Giants are starting to play a little better. We saw that last week. If they had a quarterback to throw, they'd probably beat the Jets. I think they're going to go out there and win a solid game against the Raiders. I'll take the Giants getting two on the road for the last pick. 
This is a tough one, you know. I th- I just read literally before we came on that the Raiders were benching Garoppolo, and I think you know they're clearly throwing in their their hat in the ring for the Caleb Williams sweepstakes come the uh, NFL draft time. But you know it, this is such an unpredictable game. Uh, I think obviously you know it's you see a lot of times in the NFL it seems like when a team fires their coach they come out and they they're all fired up and they play a great game. I think if Jimmy Garoppolo was playing, I would feel more comfortable taking the Raiders. But in, a, in it seems like the the Raiders are in total disarray right now. Clearly, they're they're trying to tank the season at this point. So I'll take the better coach team, the more stable team. Even though there's some tremendous injuries on the Giants, uh, I trust them more in a situation like this. So I'm with you. I'm rolling with the G-men too. All right. So to reset the picks of the week, Jersey Joe is taking the Panthers, getting two and a half at home against the Colts. The Rams getting three in Lambeau against the Packers, and the Bengals laying three on Sunday against the Bills. My picks, I'm laying two with the Chiefs in Germany against the Dolphins, the Patriots laying three and a half at home against Washington, and the Giants getting two points on the road against the struggling, now disarray, Vegas Raiders. Those are your picks for week number nine here on the podcast, and we're going to be back next week, week 10, by a Giants fan in Justin Diaz here, and he's known for his ranches. I'm curious what he's opinion on the state of this football team. They have off to, I think, now a two and six start for, I think, the eighth, seventh time in eight years, something like that, which is really bad. It has been a really dis. I think obviously after the Giants made the playoffs last year, got a playoff win. I think it's been a huge disappointment. And it just shows you. It, I think the most under talked about thing in the NFL is is the power of the offensive line. You can't win in this league without a good offensive line. Look at all the great teams in the NFL today. Not one of them who's winning consistently has a bad offensive line. It's just it's a make or break thing for teams these days. And you've seen Daniel Jones this year, you know, how good of a year he had last year. Now you 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 compare that to this year with their line being as bad as, as it has been. I think that is one of the most glaring reasons they've had such a difficult year this season. Yeah, I think for sure. One thing I'm going to ask Justin next week, I'm definitely curious about this too. I feel like the success they had last year was a problem for Brian Dable because they, last year everybody was expecting, oh, they're going to be bad. Their roster stinks. They, they end up winning nine games, winning a playoff game. They see the roster is not, not that much better, and now they're playing more like we thought they would last year. If they think the results are reversed, they say, okay, they're making progress. Yeah, that is, I still like Brian Dable. I have a lot of trust and faith in him. I think, you know, the way, again, to, to walk into a situation like he did last year and to turn it around was really impressive. And, you know, it is, it, it, it today, it has been a hit this season. And I think, you know, obviously how they finish will say a lot about them. Clearly, they're not a team that has given up, even though things have gone really wrong. And I think that that shows a lot about him and that he still he has a really respected voice in that locker room still. So if the Giants continue to finish the season on a strong note and they, they really finish strong, I think we'll see if they can bring some positive momentum into next year. That'll say a lot about the team and the leadership there. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. People I'll follow you on social media. How can they do that? Yeah, so you can follow me all over the place. I think it's Jersey Joe Archino on uh, on uh, everything across the board. But uh, once again, you do a great job with this show. Consistency is key, and you are always delivering in that department. So keep up the great work, and really appreciate you bringing me on. It was a lot of fun being back with you today. Absolutely, Jersey Joe. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. We'll see you soon. The Two Minute Drill. All right, two-minute drill time here. And as a podcaster and sports commentator, I was obviously a big WFAN guy when I grew up. 
Mike and the Mad Dog were must-listen right after a big sporting event in New York. Their play legendary voices who have graced that station over the years made them the authority for sports talk in this area. It's a reason they've crushed ESPN in the ratings for years and years and years. Most of those guys are gone now, though. In WFAN, I'll give them credit. They're still doing well in the ratings. The quality of the product has largely slipped. Part of the problem here is that this station now seems to have pursued the strategy of we're just pushing our hot takes to your clicks and intensity of providing intelligent analysis discussion in New York sports. I call this the first take approach. It's what ESPN does every morning. They fans seem to do it for radio. Take the Midday Show, for example, which is headlined by Brandon Tierney and Sal Licata now. Those two started a whole movie this summer claiming Pete Alonzo was quote-unquote toxic in the Mets locker room. Started a daily move for the Mets to trade him to fix the clubhouse. That take was absolute nonsense because neither of those two have actually been in a locker room and interacted with players and seen these things themselves. It was heavily refuted by anyone who actually covers the team. But they ran into the game tangent themselves. They ran that narrative all summer and everybody else was basically saying it's complete BS. They're at their worst again last week when they had former Giants legend Carl Banks on to preview the Jets and Giants game matchup here. Banks is the radio analyst for the Giants for the fans. He does a weekly spot with them. They got a debate with him about Kayvon Thibodeau, the Giants head rusher, who Tyrion Lacan, they decided their take was that he was overrated and that he had bad fashion sense, he was out of shape, so on and so forth. When Banks, who's been on WFN for over 15 years, by the way, disagreed with them and was trying to revise analysis of where they were wrong, Sal Licata told their producers to hang up on him. That's right. Tyranny Licata hung up the phone on Carl Banks, a two-time Super Bowl champ who has forgotten more football than these two will ever know because he disagreed with them and was making their take look stupid. Tyranny then went on to social media and defended their aspect, claiming they weren't going to let Banks tell them how to do their show. Give me a break, guys. Come on. Then we have the, then we have the afternoon show, the 2-6 to six show, which saw Sean Marash. A big Giant fan, the third voice on Evan Antique in the afternoon. He put himself in, in the spotlight last week by ripping Jets quarterback Zach Wilson for heading out of town his bye week, heading home to Utah and spending time with his girlfriend. That take was, to be fair, rightfully slammed by Evan Roberts on the air. Said that it was absolutely ridiculous. A lot of media pundits nationally and former players have blasted this take as well. But if it's a pattern where Mirage basically says inflammatory things on air or on social media just to draw attention to himself, that is not what this station should be about. This station was the institution of sports talk radio. has gone completely off the rails in terms of quality. I have seen fans share their critiques on social media with Spike Eskin, the program director there at WFAN now. And his response basically is to mock them and say, oh, like, you know so much. We never had opinions before. We think he knows better than them. Please, Spike. All that goes to explain why WFAN is largely off in my car now. I wasn't actually listening to a sporting event. If I want New York sports analysis, I listen to JJ's New York, New York podcast. He gets what people want. And when WFAN let him go, that was the beginning of the end of the quality from the station. So we'll see what happens then. It's sad to see that they have become. With that, I want to end the show for you. I want to thank my guest, Zach Brazeller, for talking uh, college basketball. Always fun talking with him about it. Jersey Joe, our keynote doing the NFL picks. We want to work on stuff like this podcast, including my look at the rankings of the Flativerse shows, all five on Netflix. I rank them from best to worst. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. So check the Sky Guys podcast here. Our animation of live action brackets underway. We're going to go through a region by region throughout the month of November. If you want the first region is out now. You can listen to that on the Sky Guys podcast, same platform mentioned at the top of the show. So follow me on social media, MPHILIPS331. That's M P H I L I P S 331. And that's going to do it for here this week on the Just on the Suffering podcast. Coming up next, we're going to get into our NFL midseason cover here. We're going to do our annual midseason report. We're going to do some NFL picks and more. Tell you have a better week than Phillies fans.
This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.